Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is our year-end wrap-up show. A bit of a departure from our normal format, but as we close out 2018, I wanted to use this opportunity to thank you all for listening in, for providing incredible feedback, email, social media posts, and for telling others about this show. You know, it's funny, twice this year, I've saddled up to a, a mixing desk during a playback date on the mix stage, And the director of whatever I was mixing or a colleague next to me would suddenly say, by the way, are you the same David Collins that does the soundtrack show? One of my co-workers told me to check it out. I was floored. So thank you so much for spreading the word about this show. This episode will feature a lot of the emails that you've sent over the past year. I love that we're all having a conversation about the musical nature of motion pictures, TV, video games, and more. And we're just getting started on the soundtrack show. Next year promises to be filled with even more great soundtracks. And later in this episode, I'm happy to share just a few of the many titles that we'll be taking a close look at in our second year of the show. But first, a quick note about the show. As you know, we've been on a weekly release schedule since we launched this past February. Next year, the soundtrack show will be released in seasons. We'll have shows for, oh, I don't know, eight straight weeks or so, and then take some time off, and then come back again with another season or batch of shows. Now that we have quite a back catalog of shows going, I thought that this new model will help the show sustain its level of depth and quality for many episodes to come. It'll give me time to do more research, bring on more guests, and really keep the conversation going. So, this will be our last show of the year, but we'll be back in 2019 with a short season in January, followed by a break. For professional and personal reasons, I need to take a break. And then we'll pick up in the spring. But now, let's get on with our year-end wrap-up. For those of you who haven't heard the show from the beginning, I'm hoping you'll indulge me in a bit of a review. The soundtrack show started with some introductory episodes that I thought would give us a nice way of speaking in a common language. It was important to me to start the life of this podcast with a general overview, beginning with what I thought was a very important subject, storytelling. Music really is the emotional engine that drives our minds and hearts as we take in characters and situations, etc. But on the second episode, right away I wanted to get on to a subject that I've been thinking about ever since I was a music student in college. I remember back then wishing that I knew more about what music actually was. I mean, it's not magic. Well, is it? So, anyway, we discuss the nature of what music actually is in the very second episode of this show called What is Music? No, seriously, what is it? This was my lighthearted way of taking the mystery out of it all. Because I strongly believe that understanding music is just as much for everyone as music is. 
I wish we all spoke music as fluently as I'm speaking English right now. Well, <laughs> tongue twists and the occasional malapropism aside, but you know what I mean. It shouldn't be so intimidating. We all listen to music every single day. So let's talk about it like we talk about the weather or our favorite football team. The Soundtrack Show isn't a show that is only for the initiated, for the musicians among us. It's for everyone. So if you haven't had a chance to check out those early shows, uh, please do so. I'd be curious to know what you think. What followed those two episodes is our third episode that I had no idea would be so popular. It was called Doom and Gloom. Music has a word for death. And that word is, of course, Dies Irae. It's one of our most popular episodes and certainly one of our most popular designs in our T Public store. And one of the most common emails that I get from you is about this episode. People are fascinated by the concept that there's been a hidden musical phrase that means death inside of musical scores for hundreds of years. In fact, here's an email that I received from Michael from Louisiana. I've recently been going back into some of your first episodes of the show, and I noticed you had done one about Dies Irae specifically. What a fantastic episode. I'm such a film buff, and all the films you reviewed in this episode I've definitely seen before, but I never realized their use of Dies Irae before. What's great about it is sometimes Dies Irae is spelled out prominently, and other times it's a little more subtle, but it's definitely there. The one that really blew me away was that it actually appears in the main title from Star Wars. I had never picked up on that before. But now that I've heard it once, I'll hear it every time going forward. I really love the history behind Dies Irae too, Day of Wrath, Day of Reckoning, and that it was actually derived from a Gregorian chant. Very interesting stuff. The Home Alone reference, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Shining, another mind-blowing moment. It just helps me to enjoy those movies even more than I did before. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this show and to share it with all of us. I'd like to make a few suggestions for future soundtracks on the show, if I may. Rogue One, The Last Jedi, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, or any of the Indiana Jones movies would be great. But to be honest, anything you decide to pick will be worth hearing. I just really love this show and I can't wait to hear more. Thank you again, Mr. Collins, and may the force be with you. P.S. I'm also proud to say that I'm a proud owner of my very own DSERA t-shirt from your show store. I was so excited when I saw that you were selling them that I just had to get one, lol. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. I'm so glad you like the show. And this leads me to my question to all of you. For those of you that are listening, would you be interested in more shows like this? For example, I almost did one on the Lydian mode on its own. By the way, I, I was going to call it Lydian. Music has a word for magic or discovery. But I opted instead to fold that into my episode about Back to the Future, a score whose main melody is built around a Lydian scale, which evokes awe and wonder. Would you like to see more musically-themed episodes of the Soundtrack Show, or would you like more in-depth analysis on specific films and scores? Let me know on social media or at uh, the Soundtrack Show at HowStuffWorks.com. Anyway, after doing several of those overview episodes, we moved on into covering specific scores. The first one was Jaws, which again, I used as an opportunity to give a biography of John Williams up until 1975, rather than breaking that out into its own show. I started with Jaws because it really is the dawn of the blockbuster, the rebirth of the classical film score called neoclassicism, and because, well, it's awesome. Seriously, though, the film score is the shark. Here's an email that I received from Hannah. She writes, Good evening, David. I teach high school choir and music appreciation. During the spring semester, I had planned to teach a piano lab course, 
but due to funding constraints, I am unable to. I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning and have loved every minute of it. During our most recent chapter in music appreciation, music and film, we traced the basic history of the use of music in film from the Vitaphone reels until modern day movies. When we were talking through modern movies, I was able to use your episodes about Jaws to help the students understand the psychological effects music can and does have on the audience. Their response to and enjoyment of that particular discussion caused me to think about changing my piano lab class next semester to a more in-depth class about the use of music in films. I'm trying to find resources that I could use to help convince my principal and write a curriculum. Are there any that you would recommend I start with? Again, I love your show. It has helped me learn more about movie music, which I have always loved, and has given me a new excitement for teaching music. And maybe, if you don't already have it planned, you could do an episode or two on Braveheart, one of my absolute favorite movie scores. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks so much. And I'm glad your students enjoyed the show. You know, a lot of people have asked me about specific books that I've used for the soundtrack show. And the reality is that I pull from a ton of different sources and try not to use just one. And in doing that, what I've observed is that a lot of books on the subject of film scoring can be very academic and somewhat dry, or they're really geared towards people that are aspiring to be a film composer. So they they talk mostly about the business side of things. There are exceptions to this, of course. But given that, I tend to rely mostly on liner notes of special edition soundtracks from people like Mike Mattesino for really specific information about a particular score. Uh, I also use a lot of special features on Blu-rays and DVDs, a lot of which can be found on YouTube or Google if you search for them. And those are excellent resources. I mean, there are so many interviews with great composers online that you can view for free if you search for them. That's a great place to start on a budget. Anyway, so to get specific, I'll, I'll give you some books that I do really like. One is called Scoring the Screen. The Secret Language of Film Music by Andy Hill. It's a great, practical, and up-to-date and passionate take on the film music business. But that might you might find it a little too inside baseball for what you're looking for as an overview for kids, but maybe it can give you some ideas. Um, a History of Film Music by Mervyn Cook is a very comprehensive resource for the history of film music uh, for creating lesson plans, um, but it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, One great place, I think, to start is the recent documentary score, a film music documentary, because it strikes this wonderful balance of telling these human stories of these composers working on these things, but also giving us a glimpse into the art of film scoring and even providing a really palatable overview of the history of film music. So I highly recommend checking that movie out. Lastly, there's a book that I'm fascinated by called Torn Music, Rejected Film Scores by Gergele Hubai. And apologies for any mispronunciation there of of the author's name. But that's all about uh, a phenomenon that happens all the time in film scoring, which is about how film scores are created, then completely rejected and replaced. It happens more than you think, and there are many, many famous cases. One of the most famous is Alex North's score for 2001, A Space Odyssey, completely replaced by music from the repertoire, like the Blue Danube by Johann Strauss. There are other examples, and it's such a painful yet fascinating read that gives real insight into creative, technical, and scheduling struggles when these films are being made. I'll try to, as I go, keep mentioning more and more sources, but maybe you can check out some of these to help form an appealing curriculum for high school kids and help convince your principal. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. 
Welcome back to the soundtrack show. That piece that you just heard is, of course, Vince Guaraldi's Christmas Time is Here from the 1965 TV special, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And it was recorded at Fantasy Studios in the San Francisco Bay Area and featured a children's choir from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in San Rafael, California, over in Marin County. You know, holiday music gets a lot of flack, but I will say this as an aside, and since it's an end-of-the-year wrap-up show, I can't think of any other time of year where so many different styles of music from so many different eras are celebrated. You have the traditional stuff that's hundreds of years old. Hark the herald angels sing, oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree. You have the more modern stuff like Wham! and Mariah Carey. And then you have music like this, like Vince Guaraldi's, this mid-20th century music that features harmony that is so reminiscent of that era. These kind of chord progressions, let's see this here. And chord progressions like uh, The Christmas Song by Mel Torme. Uh, what's another one? Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, which is from Judy Garland's 1944 MGM musical Meet Me in St. Louis. And many, many others feature these complex jazz and show tunes harmonies that we just don't hear anymore in modern music. And they immediately transport us back to this era. Just really fast, if I may, just a little little music analysis. We've talked about major chords. We've talked about minor chords, right? And we've talked about how chords are nothing more than just a group of pitches that sound good together. Well, one of the things that we never really got into is how chords have, over the past several hundred years, really been developed in intervals, meaning separations between the notes, that are called thirds. One, two, three. One, two, three. So each pitch is a third interval apart from the last. And these thirds are stacked on top of each other, at least initially. So in the key of C, which was what we're looking at now, a major chord, a C major chord, is a C, then an E, a third above, one, two, three, E, and then a G, which is a third above that, one, two, three, right? C, E, G, C major. Well, as time went on, and look, this is really a simplification of music theory and harmony here, but bear with me, more thirds just kept getting stacked. If you add another third on top of this, you get what's called a seventh chord. In this case, a C major seventh, or a C major major seventh. Well, ask composers in the 19th, and certainly jazz composers in the 20th centuries, why stop there? Let's keep adding thirds. Here's another third. This is a C major seventh chord with what's called a chord tension, a ninth. Well, how about another third? Oh, 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 that one doesn't sound good. We'll skip that third and go another third. Okay, this is called a thirteenth. You can even move it down an octave and it sounds like this. Now, Let's, uh, let's do that in all the scale degrees. Here's, uh, here's a D minor with, with a ninth and an eleventh. Here's an E minor with an eleventh. And of course, now we can do, check this out, an F major seventh with a ninth, a sharp eleventh, and a thirteenth. Hello, Lydian. 
You can even move the chords so that they're, they're, you know, closely together like this. Jazz, baby. So yeah, you can invert them, you can do them in minor, and then you can borrow and mix and match between major and minor, and then maybe do some altered scales, and suddenly you can see how this kind of harmony came to be. And it really peaked in popular music in the mid-20th century. And then things started to simplify again. But every year around the holidays, we hear this kind of harmony everywhere we go. And Vince Guaraldi's Peanuts album is such a perfect example of this. Okay, that was a nice digression. But now, back to the wrap-up show. I want to give you all an example of how one show can lead to another, and how sometimes I go down a rabbit hole of information. Here's a typical one that I've been struggling with while writing these shows. Let's start with an email. This, uh, this email is from Adam. Hello, David. I just wanted to write to let you know how much your podcast means to me. Oh, thanks, Adam. I've appreciated your opinions ever since the Oxygen podcast discussing Star Wars and have great respect for your work as a voice actor, but also your musical expertise, especially in regards to soundtracks. As an aspiring film composer, moving to Los Angeles this year to make my dream happen, I have a great appreciation for the time you take to inform and inspire myself and other film composers through the soundtrack show. I grew up falling in love with the works of John Williams, Alan Silvestri, Jerry Goldsmith, and other amazing film composers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but I really decided to make a push at film scoring as a career after seeing Man of Steel. The composition, sound design, and drum work by Hans Zimmer in this score in particular really struck a chord with me. (laughs) No pun intended, right? Especially since Superman is my all-time favorite superhero. I would love deep dives of the 1978 Superman score and also Man of Steel by Hans Zimmer. Both scores are absolutely incredible for completely different reasons, and both fit their visuals perfectly. Thank you again, David, and excited to continue listening and hope to meet you in person one day, Adam. Well, thank you for writing, Adam, and first of all, big congratulations on putting your dream front and center by making the big move. Best of luck to you in your career. And you're not alone in your love of Hans Zimmer. There's another email that I received. This one's from Alexander. Hello, David. Love your show and share your love of John Williams. Have you considered doing an analysis of some classic Hans Zimmer works? Pieces like Gladiator, The Dark Knight, Interstellar, etc. He's an incredible composer and so different from Williams. Would be fun to hear your thoughts on his works. Thanks for the show, Alex. Well, Hans Zimmer is a fascinating study, and I want you all to know I've had several of his soundtracks on my desk over the past year. The Dark Knight is here, The Gladiator, uh, The Gladiator, Gladiator, The Power of One, The Lion King, Interstellar, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, etc. This is, to be honest here, and this is part of the fun of this wrap-up show, is giving you a peek behind the curtain of uh, the process of making it. I have yet to quite crack how to introduce him, Hans Zimmer, and I didn't quite figure it out in time to get an episode out this year, in a way that I feel really does him justice. So, like with John Williams, it was easy Jaws is such a turning point in his career and in the history of film scoring. But you almost have to do an overview of Hans Zimmer's work because, first of all, so many lines are blurred. Uh, You know, he's got this kind of sonic sound design nature of a lot of his film scores, like Man of Steel, like uh, Adam pointed out, and uh, Inception, right? Uh, And the tonal nature of his scores, like Dunkirk. I mean, the man is an industry and has changed the nature of film scoring. He's really brought it into the 21st century. And I'm telling you, I will absolutely cover it Zimmer at some point. And you know, my first instinct, and this is where the rabbit hole thing kicks in, my first instinct is to start with The Dark Knight. 
because I love it so much. And I just can't wait to talk about it. I love that movie. I love that score. But it immediately makes me think about Danny Elfman and his iconic Batman scores and then wanting to compare those two. So I have Elfman's Batman uh, score on my desk as well. So wait, I think as I go down this rabbit hole, should I start with Zimmer by comparing these two and then move into Hans Zimmer just to show how different and fresh Zimmer is? So speaking of, uh, of Danny Elfman, here's another email that I received. This one's from Edward. Dear David, first let me say how much I enjoy the podcast. I have no formal musical training, but participated in choir and chorus, so I have some basic knowledge. Second, this is my first note to anyone on Twitter and my first comment to a podcast, but I wanted to share a brief note about how I came to appreciate and enjoy soundtracks. We're about the same age, I think, and grew up listening to a pretty broad range of music, but I gravitated toward New Age and Alternative. Long before most people heard the name Danny Elfman or Mark Mothersbaugh, I was listening to their respective bands, Oingo Boingo and Devo. I loved the fusion or sounds and how some of the music defied standard genres. Danny Elfman in particular fascinates me. If someone only listened to Oingo Boingo, they may not be surprised by Pee Wee's Big Adventure or Beetlejuice but I bet they'd be shocked to learn the same artist created Black Beauty, Summer's Bee, and Midnight Run, one of my favorites. I'm sure many folks my age followed the same journey, but it was Elfman and Mothersbaugh who led me to movie scores, and I've been hooked ever since. I'm hoping you'll explore one or both of these artists, and perhaps other examples of artists that have transitioned from bands to cinema, which reminds me that Mark Knopfler's Princess Bride is another great example. I can only imagine how much time and effort goes into producing these shows, they're awesome, and I truly appreciate it. Keep up the great work, Ed. Thank you for writing, Ed. You know, I, I love Oingo Boingo, and not just at Halloween time. It was a staple in my CD collection that was blasting out of my college dorm room. And Danny Elfman's film scores, I agree, they're fascinating. I'd love to do a whole episode on Back to School and Pee-wee's Big Adventure in the early days of Danny Elfman's career before he even got to score Tim Burton's Batman. I want to do a whole thing on the evolution of his sound, that kind of gothic oompa, 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 which, by the way, I would like to officially coin the phrase doompa, which is what I call it, as I think that best describes Danny Elfman's early work, that kind of ironic, twisted boom chuck, boom chuck, boom chuck, boom chuck, with the orchestra that sounds like, like an oompa death march, doompa. And the score for Pee-wee's Big Adventure is one of my favorite film scores of all time. So original. So memorable. Anyway, all of this is by way of saying that these are the kind of rabbit holes that I go down. How am I going to do Zimmer? Well, let's think about Batman. Ooh, now I got to think about Elfman. So I go Zimmer to Batman to Elfman to Pee-wee to Boingo. Wait, wasn't I just going to talk about Hans Zimmer? So, I promise you all, I will cover some of Zimmer's scores next year, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back. Ah, the sound of the holidays. That piece of music was from Home Alone, a score by John Williams, and that score is fantastic. I'll definitely cover it someday, uh, but it's hard because there are other Williams scores I want to get to first. By the way, I don't know this for sure, 
But I'm almost positive that that piece is William's version of the Russian dance from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Ballet. similar. Who knows, maybe director Chris Columbus tempted that music in from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, and Williams had to write his own version for the score. Anyway, interesting sidebar there. But back to your emails. This next email is from Sarah. The soundtrack show lights such a fire of deep enjoyment for me. It's all these great, nerdy details about stylistic choices, and chords, and cadences, and voice leading, and rhythm, and all those other things that make movie soundtracks so wonderful. I really wish this podcast existed when I was taking music theory. Lydian mode? What? I think it could have helped me so much. But the fact that it exists now and I have my education and understanding of the basics of music theory enhances my enjoyment. And I think that it is a part of what makes this podcast so meaningful to me. She goes on to say, My husband has perfect pitch, which is fun and is a part of his own set of talents. I was evangelizing to him about the soundtrack show and played a bit of the DS Irae episode. Aha. I had mentioned that you had listed that theme as a part of the Lion King score. So my husband thinks a bit, and then is at our piano, and plays through the wildebeest stampede, and then transitions into the fight between Simba and Scar, and there it was. Dies Irae. Sometimes he is a show-off, but it is one of his favorite movies of all time. Perhaps this is something for next Halloween, but I'd like to throw the music of Stephen Sondheim into the ring, specifically his musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I would really enjoy a dive into some of the stuff used in that musical, like the DSRA. Thanks for reading my email. I can't wait to listen to more of your show, and thank you again for sharing your knowledge and talents via this podcast. Warmly, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah, for your email. It's funny you mentioned Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd. I love that musical. In fact, once upon a time, I played uh, Anthony in a regional theater version years ago. That, uh, that episode of The Office... Yeah, that that hit a little too close to home for me. Um, But anyway, I also once saw a performance of Sweeney Todd in London that I wanted to tell you about, which just blew me away. The cast was, I've never seen anything like this before. The cast was also the orchestra. Anthony sang Joanna while playing the cello. In fact, he was doing a, a cello duet with Joanna. Mrs. Lovett sang about meat pies while playing trumpets in between lines. I mean, an insane amount of talent. But I digress. One of the things that I really wanted to get to next year was a bit more theater, musical theater. Sweeney Todd would be an incredible discussion. I'm a bit of a Sondheim nut. Uh, Don't even get me started on Into the Woods or A Little Night Music. And I really, really loved having Robert and Kristen Anderson Lopez on the show. I would love to also cover more of their work in Broadway as well as film. I'd also love to do a full show on Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. There are so many exciting developments in the world of musical theater. Heck, I outlined a whole show about musicals from the golden age of Hollywood as well. That's a whole subject we haven't talked about. One of my favorites is, of course, Singing in the Rain. Not just because of its amazing musical numbers, 
but because the whole plot revolved around the development of sound or soundtracks in motion pictures. It's written perfectly for this show. By the way, uh, just to transition here, another movie that presents a much darker take on the advent of sound in motion pictures is the classic Sunset Boulevard, with an incredible score by Franz Waxman, who we've talked about on this show. Maybe it would be fun to do those two movies, Singing in the Rain and Sunset Boulevard, back-to-back. As you couldn't ask for two takes on the same subject, the advent of sound and how it changed and ruined careers, to be any more different in tone. Now, before I close up this wrap-up show, I want to share some of the shows that I have planned for next year. I want to start next year with Howard Shore's amazing score for The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, from 2001. I plan on doing a few episodes on this, including an episode on the very first Lord of the Ring, 19th century opera composer Richard Wagner. And by the way, opera is a whole other thing that we could geek out on, but I promise to introduce it in a way that strongly relates to modern examples of orchestral, dare I say, operatic film music that we already know and love. I also want to catch up a bit with Star Wars and cover The Empire Strikes Back. It's time, and I can't wait to dive into that masterpiece. Speaking of John Williams, I'm constantly asked about Superman and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I have to pick one. I'll probably wait on Superman and cover Raiders next year. I also plan on covering more non-traditional works. I'm really interested in talking about the one-two punch that landed in the 1980s with Vince DiCola's amazing scores for both Rocky IV and Transformers the movie. And lastly, I want to go back further into the history of film music by covering Alex North's score for Spartacus and Jerry Goldsmith's score for Planet of the Apes. Thank you to all of you for your score suggestions. Also, I'd love to hear what you think about our interview shows. Or do you like commentary episodes? Or are those not for you? With your help, I hope to keep the soundtrack show going for many years to come. Thanks for making 2018 so special. Until next year, I'm David W. Collins, wishing you and your loved ones the happiest of holidays and happy listening. Thank you.